it's, it's Pyra. Um, but it's, it's of Thai origin. My father was from Thailand. And uh, I was born and raised here. And I met my wife here. And this is our little guy who was born ten and a half months ago. So this is my wife, Venus and my little boy Ezekiel. So we're glad to be here. We drove in from San Francisco, so not too far, but um, my home church is in San Francisco. It's called New Life Church of the Nazarene, and you're welcome to come visit us if you're ever uh, spending a weekend up there in San Francisco. But just a little background. Before uh, I ever met Dean at Western, and before, I'm going to imagine, before any of you ever met Pastor Chris, uh, I, I met Chris. And then I think I knew of Chris before she knew of me because I have an older brother. He's four years older than me. His name is Sutat. And he was at UCLA when I was in high school. And as any uh, high schooler wanting to be cool, uh, when my brother came back from UCLA for, I think it was a spring break, uh, he was part of a Christian fellowship down in UCLA where Chris was working on staff and ministering to the campus there. He came back on a road trip, as many college students do. You know, they have those cool road trips and brought a bunch of friends because Chris was going to be preaching at Berkeley, at Berkeley Asian American Christian Fellowship, in fact. But I was a high schooler, new to the faith, and my brother said, Hey, why don't you come with us to Berkeley? Okay. Because in order you know, to just see what college life is like, I, why not tag along with my older brother? So I went to this little church. It's packed. I think there, were, it, there was no room. I was up in the balcony. And I heard probably the clearest message of what grace and mercy meant. As Chris unfolded the word, and uh, she, she didn't know she was having this impact on, on this little high schooler who was new to the faith at that time. And that just stuck with me many years into my life. When I eventually went into college, I went to San Jose State. Not Berkeley, didn't make it. But um, San Jose State, I joined up with Asian American Christian Fellowship over there because of that one little experience that my brother invited me to go hear Chris uh, minister to these college students and this grunt of a high schooler who was tagging along. And so I remind her that every chance I get, um, because I'm sure she's sick of that story by now, but uh, we've run into each other through different kind of ministry opportunities, and it's just amazing to see how the Holy Spirit brings people to cross paths in the most, well, some of us think random ways, or coincidental circumstances. And more and more as I've been uh, living this Christian life and seeing the Holy Spirit move, I don't know if there's anything random about it or coincidental about it. More and more I think it's something about God incidents. Something that the Holy Spirit does and puts pieces in place and puts people in each other's lives, even just for a brief moment for such a time as this. We're going to look at a passage in Scripture. In fact, it was part of your reading, if I understand correctly. You're walking through large chunks of Scripture. I commend you as a church for doing that. Uh, it's, it's hard to read big sections of the Bible. Lots of people just want to take one verse at a time, and sometimes they'll be retired before they ever get through the Bible. You guys are going to go through this year. And it's going to be uh, an amazing journey for you. And when I saw which passages you were reading this week, I was very excited. Because the book of Acts is where I'm landing on this, in this message. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open to Acts chapter 1. It's right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 1. And the title of my message this morning is, Who Will Lead the Church Now? Who Will Lead the Church Now? 
always like to know uh, how well-versed or how familiar with the Bible uh, the groups that I, I share with, how, how they are. Sometimes there's a range of people like me when I was in high school, just new to the faith. I don't really know what grace and mercy are. So maybe I just, you know, I think I know who Jesus is and I can figure that out, but I don't know like the main storyline of, of things. So let me just test this group. I was a teacher before and I always loved games. And So let me just see if, if you guys know who the main character of the book of Esther is. Just shout it out. Esther, who's the main character of the book of Daniel? Daniel, who's the main character of the book of First Samuel? Oh, maybe, maybe David. Uh, who's the main character of the book of Exodus? Mm. You guys are pretty sharp, but, but I'm going to challenge you here. Who's the main character of the book of Luke? Oh, okay, not Luke. Okay, who's the main character of First Peter? Okay, I've, I've, I fished you in here. I've set out the bait. All of you are wrong, and I was wrong at the same time. The main character of every single book I named, Esther, Daniel, 1 Samuel, Exodus, Luke, 1 Peter, even the book of Acts, is not the name of the book itself. The main character is you're going to journey through the entire book of the Bible, all the books of the Bible. The main character is God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit unfolded for us. And while Esther is an important character, she's a supporting character in the great plan of God. While Samuel is a, a, a character, David, Saul, Solomon, as they unfold in First and Second Samuel, they're just supporting characters in this great, grand drama. And I believe a couple of weeks ago you had a message on the gospel on every page. Well, if God is the main character of the story, I want us to know that as we look at Acts chapter 1, the main character is, in fact, God. So let's all stand as I read to us, uh, read for us these verses in Acts. I'm going to be reading from the today's New International Version. Let's all rise out of reverence for Christ's word. It's a long passage, so just follow along with me. We'll pray and then we'll dive into the message. This is Luke writing. This is volume 2. Luke is his gospel book. Acts is his second book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set, by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as He was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Verse 15, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the reward he got for, for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Acheldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23. So they proposed the names of two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias so he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts and Holy Spirit, give us understanding of your Son, Jesus Christ. These words, we don't want to fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts. We we want to open ourselves up to all that you would teach us today. Lord, be the main character of our time this morning. Be the center of our worship as we've sung, as we pray, and as we receive your word with humility. Lord, change our lives that we might know you even more in a deeper way. Father, we thank you for this chapter of Scripture. And we thank you for this chapter of our lives. Do in us a mighty work, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Who will lead the church now? This is a question that many of us ask as people who come to church every Sunday. I have the opportunity to, to be at a very small church. There's about 40 or 50 of us. It's not a, an Asian American church. It's a multi-ethnic church. But it was um, a, a year's journey for my wife and I after we had gotten married four and a half years ago. We decided after we got married we wanted to visit many churches around the Bay Area to see what God was doing. And in that time, we visited some larger churches, some smaller churches. We visited churches from many different denominations. We visited churches that were um, multi-ethnic and some that were more uh, one ethnicity. But what was amazing was what we learned that year, that the church in its unity is also very diverse. Here at Home of Christ, I understand there are many Home of Christ churches in the network, correct? There are many sister churches, or do you call them uh, ch uh, chapters? Or what, how, how, do you, how do you identify 
Home of Christ 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. We try not to talk about the other one. Okay, we try not to. I understood. Got it. <laughs> I don't want to open any uh, you know, can of worms here. But who will lead the church is probably a question that every pastor, every church planter, every missionary, every minister, or even every person just coming to church asks. Who's going to lead us? Is it the teacher? Is it the group leader, the small group leader? Is it the Bible study, the Sunday school teacher? Who will lead the church? And these are very natural questions. When you go to school, you ask, who's going to teach me? Who's going to be in charge of my records? When you go to work, who's going to be your supervisor? Who's going to be your manager? Who's going to be your boss? What's expected of me? Am I going to lead other people? And it's a very natural question. So who will lead the church now? In this text, we're in a very interesting uh, situation. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's already conquered death, but what's cool is he's hanging out with the believers. If you caught it in the scriptures here, there's 40 days. It's not a 40-minute visit. For 40 days, if you see in Acts chapter 1, uh, in verse 3, there were a, a period of 40 days. That's over a month's time where he was able to prove to people I conquered death. Now, let's listen to what's going to happen. So in their minds, who's going to lead the church? They're saying, Jesus. King Jesus, this Jesus who we thought was going to overthrow the Roman Empire, who was nailed to the cross by these centurions and accused by all these um, Jewish leaders. Jesus wins. And we stand on that. We're in the Lenten season. We're going towards Good Friday and uh, Resurrection Sunday. We're looking forward to the victory, and they had that. For 40 days, Jesus was among them, eating, just in case they thought this was a spiritual um, mirage, or it was an actual, physical, resurrected, overcoming death Savior. Now that's kind of cool. For 40 days, they experienced something none of us have. I've never experienced Jesus in the flesh in person. I've had communion. I take it as a representation or a symbol of His body and His blood, but... He never sat next to me and my wife and my kid and played with them. You know, he's eating with them. He's teaching them for 40 days. So as they ask the question, who will lead the church now? In their mind, they're like, well, of course, Jesus is going to lead our church. Well, here's the thing. They're thinking Jesus is going to continue establishing the kingdom the way they thought, in a political sense. Take a look in verse uh, 6. This is a great question. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Keep your Bibles open too. I'm going to refer back and forth here. They asked, as they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Exclamation mark. And that's sort of like where we're at right now in 2012 in a country that has always been so divided politically. Who's going to lead our country now? Many people are going to say, re-elect Obama. Others are saying, go through all these these, what do you call them, the debates. 20 debates to figure out who's going to run against Obama. Or is there going to be a third party? Or is it going to be, who's going to lead us from 2012 through 2016? Well, in their minds, Jesus, you're going to restore Israel, right? We're going to overthrow Caesar. And Jesus' response is, take a look in verse 7, it's not for you to know. Thanks a lot, Jesus. That doesn't help. (laughs) Who are we going to vote for? Well, we've got our Messiah. You've already conquered death. You are powerful. And He says, you don't even know. And you're not supposed to know. You're not supposed to know the times or the dates. 
The Father has set by His own authority. The Father knows. But, if you go on into verse 8, but you will receive power, a different kind of power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you've ever read through the book of Acts, it's an exciting book if you're interested in church history. But what's exciting about the book of Acts is not just for church history's sake, because this is the story of the very first church. What's great about the book of Acts is it recalibrates how we think about church. It should. When we think about this particular congregation, when I think about my congregation that meets in the West Portal District of San Francisco, when I think of churches that are meeting in Syria, Iran, Afghanistan, house churches in China, mega churches in Texas, I think, what does the book of Acts have to say to every church? Because this is important. Now, if we were to look through the rest of the book of Acts, we'd see many characters. Peter, Paul, Stephen, you'd see a lot, Philip, you'd see a lot of characters emerging, but like I asked you earlier, who's the main character of the book of Acts? Who's the main character of every book of the Bible? Answer? God. And so we see our main character emerging here, foreshadowed, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised by Jesus here in verse 8 saying you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth when that Holy Spirit comes on you but right now you got to wait and waiting is difficult who will lead the church now? well they were excited about Jesus but he was about to leave them right in the next verse verse 9 after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their eyes. This is referred to as the ascension. He had already been raised from the dead, resurrected, his flesh restored. There were scars in his hands to prove that it actually happened. It wasn't a fake evil twin or something. It was Jesus who had nails driven through his hands, driven through his feet, but overcame that and now he was taken up from their eyes, ascended, and what do you think goes through their minds? There goes our political leader. What do we do now? Who will lead the church now that Jesus, our King, is gone? We're still here and now in this time, in this place. We're stuck here. What goes through their heart? Maybe confusion. Maybe a little desperation. Maybe a little discouragement. Well, it was nice to have those 40 days. A 40-day retreat is nice. Or a 40-day restoration with a leader who's training us. 40 days of training with Jesus and now he's gone? Well, what happens here? He's promised the Holy Spirit. They're taken up and two men speak to them. They're dressed in white and in verse 10 you see it again. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them just as at, at the tomb just a few chapters earlier. The same Jesus they're sorry, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. That might have helped to have this explanation. I, I would still sort of be confused after these really well-dressed angels, perhaps, messengers, told me this. Okay, he's going to come back, but when? Next week? Next month? 
Next year? When? Who's going to lead the church while he's gone? And I think we find the answer in their confusion. Because when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and it hasn't, the, he, he hasn't, the Holy Spirit hasn't come upon them in the way that he would at Pentecost, one chapter later. The Holy Spirit had revealed many things throughout the Old Testament, but the fulfillment of that causes them to wait. Causes them to be a little hesitant. Have you ever felt that way when it comes to things of the church? Well, we've got this vision, we've got this idea, but when's it going to happen? Who's going to lead it? Am I going to be a part of it? Is this worth investing in? Those are natural questions as well. And, And sometimes the answer is yes, all hands on deck. Let's get on board. Let's serve our community. Let's reach out. Sometimes the answer is no. That's a bad idea. That is not even close to what the scriptures reveal. That has nothing to do with the gospel. It's just fun. Sometimes the answer is, hang on a sec. Wait on the Lord. Because at the right time, it's going to explode. And it's going to happen. But be patient. And so what did these apostles do? Well, after the ascension, in the midst of their confusion, they, knew, they do what they know how to do. They do, no, they do what they've been trained to do. They regather and they pray. And that's a good response. When you don't know what to do, get together with other people who also don't know what to do, but know who to go to. And they go to pray. And they gather. They go a distance from the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk. In verse 12, they return to their hometown, Jerusalem. Jesus has appeared, he's ascended, now the apostles gather up, and they've got about 120 in their church. Mid-sized church, not a tiny church like mine, but it's, it's substantial enough. 120 you can, you can do something with, but remember, they were still being persecuted, they were being watched. And so the apostles, they gather back in the room, and they pray and wait. Now, as you're looking at this passage, you see all these names here. In verse 13, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. This is not the same Judas because we hear about Judas who commits suicide. There was 11 of them. Now you know the apostles. There were 12 and Judas was known as the one who betrayed the Son of God and so he's committed suicide. So we have a little leadership gap. In this board of apostles, or this council of apostles, there's 11 of them. Who will lead the church now? Could they lead with 11? Probably. But they do something here that I want us to spend a little more time on. Um, First we see Peter. Peter is well known for being the, um, the ambitious one. The impetuous one, is is that the right word? He's like impulsive. He's more impulsive. He just kind of acts on what he's feeling. And in one of his moments of impulse, uh, stepping in to say, no, Jesus, don't don't wash my feet. I should wash yours. Jesus says, no, 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 you understand. I've got to wash you. In another instance, uh, Lord, I'll never betray you. And Jesus says, no, before the rooster crows three times, you will have betrayed me. No, before the rooster crows, you will have betrayed me three times. And this is the same Peter who denies Jesus three times. 
What we see is him, him being a coward throughout the Gospels, a failure through much of the Gospels. And here in Acts, somehow because of the resurrection and because of what he's experienced for these 40 days, Peter stands up. And he speaks up. And he's empowered. And he's, he's somehow emboldened to lead this band of 120 people. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group of about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. Now Peter's quoting Psalms, and he's saying... This guy who just betrayed us, Judas, needs to be replaced. And he takes on this executive kind of a a role. And and he wants something to happen. Who will lead the church now? We see Peter standing up. And he's going to get some face time in the book of Acts as you continue through. But he's asking the brothers, we need one more leader. Now, if your church is kind of like mine, there are sometimes leadership voids because we want to run an event and we want some volunteers. And so whenever Dean or Chris or Paul ask for volunteers, I'm sure all of you are not like my church. You say, I want to help. I want to lead. I want to volunteer, right? Is that, is that you guys? Or is it sometimes, who will help? Who will volunteer? Let me check my schedule. Um, let me see if I'm tired. Let me see if I'm ready. Let me... We're all kind of there. Who's going to lead? Well, why don't we just go hire somebody or why don't we you know, find the most equipped? And What do they do? Well, they pray. They ask God, who's going to lead? And they set up some criteria. And that's a good thing. As you plan for leaders, you don't just want anybody. You want somebody who's been there and done that. Somebody who knows what they're doing and who they're doing it for. So the criteria they set up is very interesting. Take a look. After this whole uh, exposition of, of Judas, we see in verse 20, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these men, uh, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You see the criteria that's set up there? We've got to choose from among us. So first of all, they've got to be here. One of our 120 people is going to rise up and fill Judas' shoes. Hey, we're not going to go and find a stranger out there. We're not going to find somebody outside of our, our, our group. What other criteria do they set up? They've got to have seen Jesus in action. From the time John was baptizing early in Jesus' ministry, all the way to seeing what we just saw, His ascension. So that includes all of the teachings and the miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 and the healing of Jairus' daughter and all these cool things that we get in Jesus' biographies. They've got to know Jesus. That's a really good criteria for anyone who's going to lead the church. Someone who's among us, someone who knows Jesus from beginning to end. And so, there's another word here at the end of verse 22. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, what's interesting here is not that they've already witnessed it, 
But the word in this, and we're going to see it again, uh, well, earlier, witnesses, you'll be my witnesses in verse 8, and this idea of witness, the word in Greek is martyreo. Okay, martyreo, that's the verb form of witness in the original language. That's where we get the word martyr. It doesn't mean directly that you're martyr, but that's what witnesses do. They've seen and so what a martyr is, is someone who's seen and experienced it and is not going to budge. Martyrs are known for giving their lives, sacrificing their lives. Now, I don't want everybody to go on a martyr complex and just say, oh, if I die for Jesus, then I'm a witness. What, what it is, is you've seen and experienced the truth of God. You understand His gospel, that so much so, it's changed your life. Jesus has changed your life, that you're willing to die. But you're also willing to live. You're willing to speak up in the hardest places in persecution. And so the idea of being a witness is this, this martyreo. Um, and they're looking for somebody who's brave enough to do that. Probably a hard process. So they pray. And with those criteria in mind, they propose two men. Who are they? A guy named Joseph called Bar Sabas. So he was the son of a guy named Sabas. His nickname was Justice, so his name meant just. He's probably a fair guy if his name meant anything. He, was, he, he knew right from wrong and he was able to dish that out justly. We look for justice in our world. When things that have been wrong need to be righted, that's justice. And there's another guy. His name's Matthias. Matthias. His name means gift of God. Cool. Two good names, all right? Uh, just this morning on the drive over here, we were listening to the radio on the Christian station, and it was um, Billy Graham's grandson who was preaching on, on Billy Graham's show. I guess Billy Graham's not going around too much anymore. But to walk around with the name of Graham, Franklin Graham, or uh, Anne Graham Lotz, or I think it was William Graham III or something, to live up to the name of of somebody, a spiritual hero. We've got Matthias, gift of God, Joseph Barsabbas, or Justice. Those are cool names. And they put them out there. They nominate these two to lead the way, to fill Judas's shoes. And what do they do? They pray. Verse 24. Listen to this prayer. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. End quote. That's a good prayer. Okay? You know everyone's heart. Show us who you have chosen. Not who we have chosen, but show us who you have chosen. They have all this criteria and it's great. And they're about to pick a man to do some amazing ministry, I'm sure. And what do they do next? After they say amen, take a look in verse 26, then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. What's casting lots? Well, in our minds, it's almost akin to like rolling dice or flipping a coin or doing a raffle drawing. Now, as I was studying this, I had to ask the question, is this superstition? Are they playing spiritual superstition with choosing a leader? 
And I had to wrestle with that and say, is that wrong? Is that bad? And then I looked and realized that the Old Testament, God had commanded His people to cast lots in certain situations. Now, pagan tribes would have done this, or pagan, pagan peoples um, who didn't believe in Yahweh would have also cast lots to make certain decisions. So I had said, you know, did they just do something really against their prayer by casting lots? And you know, the conclusion of that was, no, 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 no. They had done the right thing because they were okay with either man, Joseph, Justice, or Matthias. They were okay with either one. They just wanted to make sure God would choose the right one. That's why they cast lots. Now, that still didn't settle me altogether because I, I think, you know, I've got all these amazing, godly women who I could marry. Should I just roll the dice and, ah, oh, Venus, wow, there she is. Would you marry? No, it, we have a, we, a list of names. Should we just choose from a list of names, just flip through a name book and, whoop, there's Ezekiel. You know, no, there's significance behind each decision. And so we want to narrow our field and narrow the list. And that, that, that's an important thing. And they land on Matthias. And what's, as, as a reader, if I was receiving this book from Luke, I would want to see some amazing things happen in the man of their choosing. I would love for there to be a New Testament book called First Matthias or Second Matthias or Third Matthias of amazing things that happened in Matthias's life as well as the rest of the apostles. We do have a couple from Peter. We have a couple from John. But how many times do we ever hear about Matthias ever again after they cast lots and find him? His name is mentioned three times in this chapter and never again do we hear of this chosen apostle, St. Matthias. So who will lead the church? Matthias? Who will lead the church? Bartholomew? Andrew? Who will lead the church? Peter? Roman Catholics think he was the first pope? St. Paul? Interesting. St. Paul, who gets a lot of face time in the book of Acts, didn't start out as an apostle. He's not mentioned in this particular chapter, but I want to give you a little spoiler alert as you continue through in Acts. Peter gets a couple of chapters, but it's the guy of God's choosing who will make big splashes in the church. And his name, before he was Paul, was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a religious Jew who was persecuting Christians like Peter and John and Stephen and all of these early believers, perhaps even Matthias. And Saul of Tarsus who was not a believer at this moment was being worked on by the Holy Spirit. And at the right time, in about nine chapters when you get there, you'll know what I'm talking about. But Matthias, a man of God's choosing, would probably do some good work. The man who would lead the church, the man who would lead the church beyond Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, throughout the Mediterranean, to places like modern-day Turkey and Italy and Greece, would be a former terrorist and enemy of the church who got legal rights to go and murder Christians. I wouldn't choose that kind of a person to lead my church, okay? Let's just make some shocking parallels here. If you are looking to fill your leadership staff here at Home of Christ 6, would the first place you go 
be, uh, be somewhere like uh, First Baptist Church of Tehran, Iran. Or, you know, would you go to Afghanistan? Or would you go to uh, Indonesia, where the highest density of Muslims live? Would you go to uh, Bombay, where millions, perhaps billions of gods are worshipped in Hindu culture? Would you go to uh, Japan, where Zen, Buddhism, or Shintoism is probably the, the main world view to find your church's leader. You might actually look closer to home. Christians who look like us, who eat like us, who dress like us, who do things like us. I would. They would. And yet God does something absolutely different. He goes to the one who's persecuting them and he calls Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, modern day Syria. Syria is making big headlines in the news right now for, its for being a place of violence and the church is being persecuted there and there's government unrest. And what if, what if your pastor, your leader, the next pastor of Home of Christ 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, come from Syria? Well, Saul of Tarsus, bloodthirsty as he was, would be the man of God's choosing. Who would lead the church? They didn't have that answer. They thought it was Matthias. They thought it would be this council of twelve. God knew. And the Holy Spirit would continue working in them so they finally understood that this was not a gospel just for them. Jewish Christians. It was for the ends of the earth. For the Gentiles, in fact. For those who didn't eat like them. Who didn't talk like them. Who didn't spend their Fridays and Saturdays like them. They were untraditional. They were different. And the Holy Spirit would take hold of their hearts and reveal to them the plan of God, the salvation of Jesus to the ends of the earth. These apostles, they took action the best that they knew how. They voted. They prayed. They cast lots. But we never hear of Matthias again. He might have done good. He might have had home of Christ, Jerusalem. All right, It might have been him. But, keep thinking ahead because the rest of Acts is an unfolding of the main character, which is not Paul. He's just a supporting character. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character of Acts. I want to ask us the question right now. Who will lead this church now? Who will lead that church, my church? Who will lead the church now? And if we ever fill that blank, that answer with Pastor so-and-so, or if we fill that blank, who will lead the church with this group or this denomination or this name of a church? If we fill in that gap with these authors who are informing us, and I understand you're reading some great books and doing some doctrinal studies of I stalked you on your website. All right, good stuff that you guys were learning last year. Um, if you fill in that answer, if, if you answer that question, who will lead the church now with a person? Then you're only going to be limited in what is going to happen. But if you answer that question, who will lead the church now? 
the Holy Spirit is leading us. The Father, the Son, the triune God who understands all of time and history, all locations on Google Maps, even the ones that don't have access to Google Maps, those places God sees. God knows what's going on in those underground, hidden places. We will pray that way. And we'll understand that God is leading His church even today, empowering and filling the local church with His Holy Spirit. Then this, my friends, is the most powerful place in the world. What's the number here? 35479. DeBarton Court is the most powerful place in the world. Not 1600 Pennsylvania. Not that place on, uh, on the other side of the Barton Bridge when we were driving over we saw this big hmm? Facebook's headquarters was located there or something those places are not the most powerful place in the world if this place is filled with the Holy Spirit leading each one of you as believers in the Lord we need the Holy Spirit because it goes beyond mere emotion we're not saying, do I feel the Holy Spirit? It's important to feel the Holy Spirit, but it's not about feelings. It's about being fueled. And being fueled by the Holy Spirit is the drive, it's the, the passion that comes from knowing His truth, understanding His Word. You can't understand this book if you don't have the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of non-believers who study this. Scholars, in fact. They're theologians in secular universities who are complete atheists. And they'll read this just like you are this year. They'll read every single page. They'll study it. They'll write lots of books and get paid lots of money to do it. But without the Holy Spirit of God, they will never understand the plan of God. They will never understand that the main character of every single page is not them. It's God. That God, in, in fact here, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, has worked through every single act of this book. And He's working in this story as well you'll see that in Acts chapter 2 you'll see that in Acts chapter today 2012 you're going to see that as we understand the Holy Spirit is leading his church is leading his church we are a people who are sealed with the Holy Spirit we are people marked by the Holy Spirit we're people filled to be filled by the Holy Spirit it means I'm a vessel a broken vessel a clay jar but the Holy Spirit still fills me we're people led by the Holy Spirit and we're people entrusted with the Holy Spirit are you bearing the fruit that comes from knowing the Holy Spirit's work in your life are you bearing the fruit that is love joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness and self-control that kind of stuff doesn't come from the world. You can't buy that at Target. You can't get that naturally. Other people, they, they can't. But the kind that brings you closer to God, that comes from the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage us now as we close our time to think and ask, who will lead the church now? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the church not just the organization but the organism you are the body of Christ and you are part and parcel you are the cells you are the organs that make up the church who will lead you let's pray 
Father, we ask You to move in us today as Your body. First, recognizing that we are unable to do this on our own. In our sin, we make decisions that lead our lives in all sorts of directions. But Lord, we know that You have a greater decision in mind. Maybe we are like Saul of Tarsus. We are an enemy of You. But You are confronting us on our own road to Damascus to see You and to repent and to turn back to You as the Lord of our life. Lord, reveal to us, reveal to our eyes Your truth. Maybe we're like the apostles. We've been following You for a while. We've been making decisions. And we're looking for a leader to fill the gap. But maybe, Lord, uh, we just don't see outside of our own community that You're doing something amazing. Would You give us a heart for, for people beyond this room, beyond this neighborhood, beyond our city, that we may serve as the Holy Spirit fuels us. Lord Jesus, we thank You for dying, for rising again, for ascending to Your throne and for the promise of Your return. Thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit in the meanwhile, that we may understand these truths, that we may make a difference in this world as You lead us. God, we don't deserve any of it. But you are gracious and kind and compassionate and we are so thankful that we have good news to share with one another and to proclaim to this dying world of the God who lives and the God who reigns. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to lead us to um, respond in prayer.